We're about to close out a book that we've been in for several months, but I think it's befitting that uh, the end of this book presents a beginning for us in how to approach this new year. And so if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, if you're here and need a Bible, I'd love you to uh, follow along with us uh, with your eyes as well as your ears. Just slip up your hand and uh, Ken or Ken will be happy to put a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible at home, please uh, take that Bible as a gift from the Lord. And so uh, we are going to congregationally this morning read two verses Uh, from Scripture, verse 23 and 24, and then I'm going to walk us through uh, a portion of the text. But can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I invite you to join me in reading aloud verses 23 and 24 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's do that now. Ready? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful who also will do it let's pray Lord what a fresh and powerful reminder that you are faithful And because you have called us into your kingdom, you've called us into this body of Christ, you have promised us also that you who have begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And so, Lord, this morning, as we look to you for that sanctifying work, as we put you first and at the center of all that will take place not only today, but throughout the course of this year ahead. Father God, we are trusting, knowing and believing that the one who has called us is faithful and will do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. May be seated. Have you ever wondered where to-do lists originated? I know probably a decade or so ago, there was a strong push in Christian ministries and in corporate to create a list, a think-and-do list. And so uh, maybe if you were uh, watching the news or a, a part of that movement 10, 15 years ago, it just seemed like every... Uh, advertisement had to do something with uh, about a think and do list. Devotionals in Bible sco- uh, stores started coming up with think and do list books. And it amazes me that over the years, uh, the, the to-do list continues to be something at the forefront of a lot of Americans' minds and at the forefront of a lot of Christians' minds. And have you ever wondered where the idea of of creating a list, a to-do list, came up. 
Well, I'm going to share it with you in just a moment, but some famous uh, names, or at least well-known names that you might be aware of, that employed think-and-do lists or to-do lists, Thomas Jefferson, Martha Stewart, the prophet Habakkuk. The Lord told him, write the vision down and make it plain in Habakkuk 2 verse 2 and make it plain so that he who reads it can run with it. Yes, to-do lists have been around a long time. Maybe you are one of those like me. Sometimes I step in here on a Uh, a given day, and I know the first thing I need to do is make a list of what it is I'm supposed to do today. Perhaps you have waiting at home on your refrigerator a list of groceries you need to get. Maybe that list of bills that you yet have to pay at the beginning of this year. The list of things to do goes on and on, but I thought it really appropriate that today we would tackle the subject of a list of what to do and not to do in 2022. How's that for alliteration? At least it will stick with our minds. What to do and not to do in 2022. Yes, the originator of the list was none other than Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin is a great example of someone knowing what it meant to use a list, and he did this often for encouragement and self-improvement. He famously detailed a 13-week plan to practice important virtues such as cleanliness, temperance, and other things dealing with the heart. You can Google that list, Benjamin Franklin's 13-week Google uh, Uh, to-do list, and it's right there. But this morning and today, we're going to talk about what a Christian, someone that has decided to say, I am going to follow Jesus Christ, is to do in 2022. Because it's right in our text. And, you know, by this time, if you've been with us any length of time, uh, my go-to is to just stick with the scriptures. Go through it book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's how I grow. That's how we grow. And we didn't quite get to this last week as we were intending to close out 1 Thessalonians, but we covered some good ground last week. And today as we attempt now to close this out, we come to none other than verse 19 and forward where the Apostle Paul is giving the Thessalonians and by the way of the Spirit to you and I four things that we should take note of that we are to not do and do in the year of 2022. Bringing our attention again here to verse 19, he says, number one, do not quench the Spirit. The Lord spoke way back in the beginning of human history, recorded for us in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 3, God said that my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet the days shall be 100 
and 20 years, his days. God pre-ordered a, a, a framework of time in which mankind would live. The days of our life. How many days we exist. There's a great study in terms of in lengthened lives as we get into the genealogy of Adam and what follows. We, we know that hundreds of years did exist, but as, as God brought his purposes back to center with the calling of Noah to build an ark and on that eight souls were saved. Since that point in time, this profound utterance of God working with mankind through his spirit. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 30, we find that many years... God had patience with his people and he testified against them by his spirit through the prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore, God gave them over into the hands of their enemies. We know that David, the patriarch, as it related to the work of the spirit in his life. In Psalm 51, David cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, it is possible God knew it, God records it, that in the life of people that will say, uh, I believe in the true and the living God and I want to align my life with his purposes for me, that God knew and recorded for us that oftentimes those same very people resist the Holy Spirit. As Stephen was giving account of the work of God in his life to a listening crowd, Acts chapter 7, verse 50 he reminded them that the hand of God had made all things and that those who had rejected Christ and the witness of Christ and the testimony of those that were following Christ, Stephen said to them in Acts 7, 51, but you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. It is possible to resist the Holy Spirit. It is also possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. He, the third person of the triune God, is, is a person and can be grieved. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.30. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The prophet Isaiah spoke of a time when God's people were continually grieving the Spirit of God, Isaiah 63, 9, in all their afflictions he was afflicted, in all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, Isaiah 63. We are told in the New Testament that the Spirit of God gives gifts to men. 
that God in his uh, love and sovereign nature gifts those uh, by the Holy Spirit and that the beloved follower of Christ is to stir up those gifts of the Spirit that God gives them. 1 Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Paul wrote to this young man and he said, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. 1 Timothy 4.14 In 2 Timothy 1.6 Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of on of hands. So yes, it is possible to resist the Spirit. It is possible to grieve the Spirit. It is possible to stir up the Spirit of God within us. But it is also possible to quench that Spirit. That's why Paul writing to the Thessalonian believers tells them, first of all, do not quench the Spirit. And you might ask this morning, well, then how does that take place? One commentator writes, quenched properly applies to the putting out of a flame of some sort or that of a fire or a lamp. And in this area of the text and the scripture, it is used metaphorically in that sense where it can be transliterated or amplified, if you will, Paul is saying, stop putting out the Spirit's fire. How do we put out the Spirit's fire in our lives? Well, if you think of a flame, and we'll use that as an applicable illustration. You think of a, a campfire, if you will. What happens when it's ignored, not tended, or overwhelmed by something else? One of the first things we would often do in the early years as Sherry and I would go camping is, you know, get the wood out of the truck and some newspaper and clear an open uh, fire area, knowing that it might be warm during the day, but it's going to get cool at night. And we'd get that firewood all ready to go. And sure enough, at a given point, light the match and, and let the thing start to burn. But as you enjoy it and you sit around, you realize that, oh, well, hey, the fire is starting to die. And there's a need to go grab another log or two or three and place them in such a way that they will con the combustion will continue to burn. And at night when you need to end the day, you can overwhelm that fire by dispersing all the wood or even pouring water on it. And I use that by way of illustration uh, to help us see these three steps and what it means to quench the spirit. We can quench the spirit by, by ignoring it. Ignoring that the spirit in us, the spirit of God need, wants to be fed. Our spiritual man needs to be fed. That's how we feed the Spirit of God in us is by the Word of God. It's that fuel. 
And if you or I choose to ignore adding fuel to the fire, we're quenching that fire. If we no longer tend that fire, in other words, we can decide to put fuel on it one moment, but then go long stretches of a period of time not tending the fire of the Spirit of God within us, then we're quenching that fire. And, of course, we can overwhelm that fire by the phenomenal amount of distractions in the world to where we, we don't do anything about the fire of the Spirit of God in us. One commentator writes, says, there is a quenching of the Spirit in others as well as ourselves. People may quench it in their ministers by discouraging them or in other Christians by discouraging them and in one another by bad examples or uh, reproaching the zeal and the forwardness that they see in them. You know, you and I can sometimes quench the spirit in someone else who's excited about Christ, excited about the work of God by just being somewhat neutral. And I don't know if you remember the day you came to faith in Christ, the day that he saved you, the day that your eyes and my eyes were opened that that Jesus is alive. Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Secondly, he makes it a point to remind them this morning that they also are not to despise prophecies. Verse 20 And he says, do not quench the spirit in verse 19. Then he says, do not despise prophecies. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the word despise can be translated to look down upon. Here in the New Testament, it also encompasses the idea of uh, esteeming lightly or esteeming least. So what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians and the Spirit of God would say to the church today is don't look down upon or esteem lightly or least the fact of prophecy in the life of the believer and in the context of the New Testament and Old Testament. Uh, It's very possible that at the time that Paul was writing this letter, there was a challenge in this particular area. We read previously in our studies of 1 Thessalonians way back in chapter 4 that he encouraged some to lead a quiet life and to mind their own business. But more pointedly, in 2 Thessalonians 2, and we'll get there as we continue our study through the New Testament, there were date setters in the Thessalonian church group. And they were speculators. And uh, that comes to light if you want to turn just a couple of pages to the right, or one page, two pages. You look at verse 1 of chapter 2 in Second Thessalonians. Paul writes, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, 
we ask you, do not soon be shaken, not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though that day of Christ, the day of Christ had come. So there were, there were date setters and speculators in the, the church at Thessalonica. And in their setting of dates and in their speculation, they would look against or esteem lightly prophetic words that, that gave clarity about the return of Jesus Christ. And it is true that even in the New Testament church today, there are some churches that don't want to pay any attention to prophecy. They don't want to pay attention to the forward looking of the signs of the return of Jesus Christ. They're content with the here and the now and are unconcerned with the time clock that prophecy is bearing out. We're told in Revelation 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so if you've ever found yourself uninterested in prophecy or, or thinking maybe it doesn't really matter, time out. Uh, the testimony of Jesus, the, the confirmation that Christ was here, the testament of all that he did and is, is in fact the same spirit of prophecy. And so it's a beautiful thing to look not only through the lens of God, how do you want to work in my life here and now and uh, change my heart and open up my understanding to the truth of heaven, the reality of walking in this world as a believer in Jesus Christ, but the, the phenomenal amount of foretelling that prophecy gives us in Scripture. Don't quench the Spirit by either ignoring it, not tending it, or overwhelming it with distraction. Do not despise prophecy, esteem it lightly, or look at it at least important. Thirdly, this morning, we get to some of the things to do. Those first two were not to do in 2022. Third, we come to what to do in 2022. Verse 21, he says, test all things, hold fast what is good. King James Version of the Bible uses the word prove. Prove all things and hold fast what is good. Now, when it comes to prophecy, we need to test prophecy. And we're told in the book of 1 Corinthians that prophecy is one of the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, to one is given a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, to another faith, to another gifts of healing. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy. A gift of uh, being able to foretell the word of God and apply it into the here and now. But we're also told in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 that when it comes to prophetic statements that 
they should be confirmed by two or three and that the others should judge. It's, it's not enough to just have someone say, uh, thus saith the Lord and receive everything they, they're going to say. It should be judged by others in the body of Christ and affirmed and confirmed. In the Old Testament, there was a principle that remains true through today, and that is, let a matter be established in the mouth of two or at that three witnesses. And you will find it amazing, that very simple principle, that when it comes to understanding something that God may want to be doing in your life or in the church or prophetic utterance, if you can get two or three people who know Scripture are filled with the Spirit of God and walking with the Lord to agree that often that's how a matter is established. Paul shows a fine balance here when he talks about proving or testing all things is that things in our lives must be tested, proved against a, a, a standard. There must be a um, an unmovable or an absolute that all other things must be tested against. And for the Christian today, that answer is certainly the word of God. All things that are going on in our world, in our time, need to be held up against the truths that are here for us in the word of God, whether it's a various philosophy of life, philosophies have come and gone. Whether it's a, very, um, a variety of science discoveries, science loves to say that they, they stick with facts, but there has to be a standard. Science can change the facts to arrive at a conclusion that science wants to arrive at. There must be an absolute, an unchanging standard by which all things are brought to bear against. And for the disciple of Christ, it is the word of God. History. History must be brought to bear against the word of God. Governments, their rule, must be brought to bear against the word of God and tested and proved. And once that is happening or has taken place in your life and mine, whether that's on a daily or a weekly or an annual basis where we're, we're trying to assess what's going on by what we know to be true in the word of God, we're not left hopeless. We're not left dismayed when we find things that are in opposition to the truth of the word of God. What Paul says, he says, once you do that, then hold fast what is good. Hold fast what is good. It is a sailing term that Paul used that meant to secure the truth that you've come to understand through testing and proving all things against the word of God, secure that which you've come to know, that which is good. 
it's easy to become negative in today's challenge. It's easy to, to start the cycle of, of spiraling down where we begin to negatively assess so many things around us. And does that do you or I any good? It does not. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Oh, God, help me. Help us in this year ahead to go deeper in how we test things against the word of God, but at the same time get almost get very efficient at holding on to what is good. God has not given up his sovereignty, beloved. The world is not spinning out of control. In fact, it's falling into place as it relates to what God is doing in human history. And God has one ultimate goal, and that is that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. If you've not yet given your life to Christ, today is the day of salvation. He, he whispers, he calls, he cries out. He says, I have come and given my life in your place to take upon myself the penalty of your sin. If you will believe in me, and receive my forgiveness. I will receive you unto myself. And begin to work in your life in such a way. Yes, Paul was clear. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise Prophecies do not, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, do test all things, hold fast to that which is good. And finally, this morning, fourthly, he says, abstain, verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. King James Version of the Bible states it this way, abstain from all appearance of evil. The original language, the form of the word idios, uh, means to stay away from that which is seen, visible, clearly can be ascertained as being evil. And Paul was saying to the Thessalonians, when the Spirit of God came into your lives and you believed in the one and only begotten Son of God and were born again by the Spirit of God, God began to give you a discernment that now allows you to know and see and ascertain what is evil. We live in a time and a day and an age which... Uh, Evil is being called good. Good is being called evil. We live in a time and an age in which uh, right is being called wrong. Wrong is being called right. 
And that was spoken of clearly in Scripture before that those days would come. And yet, is God taken by surprise by this, by the direction of, of lost humankind? Is God taken by surprise by the direction of, uh, of the masses? No. He speaks clearly to those who will call themselves his, even in the midst of, of this social, spiritual, cultural confusion, I command you, I appeal to you, I request of you that you abstain from the very form of evil. Now, uh, it is true that what we are to do is, is not go around like fruit inspectors, you know, trying to discern whether someone is doing right or wrong in their life or is there evil in their life or not in their life. But when something is clearly seen or known, if, if, in, if in the heart and in the mouth there's a testimony of, of a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that's the point in which we're to open up our, our heart and allow God to work that we might alter our direction, our behavior, our language, our involvements to bring pleasure to the Lord and abstain from the form, anything that has the appearance of evil. You might ask this morning, well, you know, how, how can that deep work of discovering or knowing what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what's evil and not evil, how, how does that take place? Answer, the word of God begins to sanctify us as we come to faith in Christ. Sanctification is God's work. And that's why Paul quickly he moves to this subject of sanctification that we read in verse 23 when he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Let's talk about that for a moment. Because what we have is we have three ways in which sanctification takes place in the life of the believer. First, do you know what it is? It's called positional sanctification positional sanctification to be sanctified the word means clearly to be set apart once we confess faith in Christ by the spirit of God we are now set apart for God it's called positional sanctification the work of God sanctifying his child begins Secondly, there is what we call practical sanctification. Practical sanctification. That is that work in which, as, as a child of God, I, I begin by simply coming to know his word. Discovering who the person of Jesus is, who the person of the Holy Spirit is, who the person of God the Father is. And 
I, I, you might relate to me at this moment. I mean, I know when I first recommitted my life to Christ, I'm like, this is a big book. I'm not a reader. I didn't even graduate from high school. And I'm going, how am I supposed to put all this in here? That's going to take a lifetime. God says, you're right. It will take a lifetime. And you and I are to enjoy every moment of it. Because bit by bit, little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, he begins to reveal more of himself to us as we spend this time in his word. And as he reveals himself to us, he reveals ourself to ourself as well. And we are invited to, by the work of the Spirit and the Word of God, to be conformed to His image, not be conformed to the image of the world, not to be conformed to the image of religion, not to be conformed to the image of, of churchianity or Christianity. To Who are we to be conformed to the image of? Christ. Practical sanctification, the work that goes on daily, weekly, yearly, throughout our, life, our, our walk with God. Positional sanctification, practical sanctification, and then guess what? That third and uh, blessed work is perfect sanctification when we are one day catapulted into his presence, whether he comes and takes us home or he chooses to call us home by reason of our life leaving us here and our life beginning there. Perfect sanctification. And so where are you on this first Sunday of 2022? Well, if you're with me and you're here, we're probably in that place of, you know, practical sanctification. And that assumes one great thing, that, that is you have begun positional sanctification by inviting Christ into your life, asking him to forgive you of your sin, believing that he died on a cross and shed his blood as atonement. And one day we will be perfectly sanctified when we're with him. As he says, as we close, Sanctify you completely, verse 23, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You've heard me share it. I'll share it again. Man was created as an inferior trinity comprised of a body, a soul, and a spirit. The God of the Bible is a superior trinity comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it is in the realm of the Spirit that mankind comes into contact or has his encounter or relates to God. That's why it's so emphatically necessary we feed our spiritual man. Brethren, verse 25, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. 
it is common in that era and in some cultures that men, when they greet, they kiss, cheek, cheek. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Isn't it a wonderful thing? We can read verse 27 and go, okay, God, we're doing it. This, this epistle is being read. And we are learning and we are growing from it. I love what Warren Wiersbe makes comment of as it relates to godly living. He says this, quote, The purpose of worship is that we might become more like Christ in character and conduct. The greatest definition of worship that I've ever was given was by William Temple, the late Archbishop of Canterbury, who said, quote, For to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind by the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open up the heart to the love of God, to vote the will to the purpose of God. As Paul refers to abstaining from forms of evil, he recognizes the need for balance to remembering that it is God who does that sanctifying work. And so today, as we begin our trek through 2022, let's, let's agree with Paul to the Thessalonians. Let's agree personally as a body of believers here in Valley Springs. And let's agree intimately in our lives personally that these four things will be hallmarks of our walk with Christ this year. Number one, to not quench the Spirit. Number two, to not despise prophecy. Number three, to test all things against the word of God and hold fast what is good. And fourth, to abstain from the very appearance of the things that are evil. You know how we begin? We say, God, here I am. I believe in you. Cleanse me and wash me fresh today. Let me start this year, this day, slate clean. I'm trusting you to do that sanctifying work in me. That's what coming to the communion table is all about. In just a moment, I'm going to invite the brethren to come and pass out elements, but I want to make one thing clear. If you have yet to give your life to Christ, these elements are not for you. They're just grape juice and cracker because they have no meaning. But you, if you're listening at home or if you're in this room, you can give your life to Christ right now. You can say to the Father that you believe in the Son. I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you'd like to. And, and what we want to do is just trust God to do that work. Maybe you're watching at home. Because the only way these elements mean anything, they are, they are adhering to what Jesus said. He says, as often as you do this, remember me. It's, it's not only remembering, it's a 
a confession that Christ alone died for me. And because I believe in him, I will live in eternity forgiven my sin. Will you join me as we pray? If you want to invite the Lord, just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. This morning I confess my sin and I invite him to come and take over in my life. Jesus, I offer to you all that I am. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me, wash me. And cause me to live my life now for you by the work of your Spirit and your great grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Brethren, we come forward and let's worship as we prepare to take communion together.